Good evening, this is Patrick Donahue. Last week on Bible Crossfire, we were talking about why there are so many different interpretations of the Bible. A lot of people think, well, there's a lot of different interpretations. The Bible must be hard to understand, and these are all just honest differences of interpretation. But we were demonstrating that that's not the case. We talked about a couple of reasons. We talked about how that there's different understandings of the Bible because of the influence from the world. Because people are using the wrong authority. They don't really even take the Bible for what it says. They, ha they take something else in as priority over what the Bible says. And one of the ways that people do that, especially the Catholic Church, is they allow their tradition to trump Scripture. For example, the Catholic Church claims that Peter was the first pope and, of course, the Pope, like any other priest, but especially the Pope, is not allowed to be married. But did you know that the Bible says that Peter had a mother-in-law in Matthew eight fourteen? Here's how that text reads. And when Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. Peter had a wife. How could both of those things be true? That Peter was the first Pope and popes can't marry... When we read clearly in Matthew 8.14 that Peter had a wife, his mother-in-law laid sick. His wife's mother laid sick of a fever. Well, the Catholic Church, they can read the Bible just like any one of us. They know what the Bible says, but they let their tradition. Their tradition says Peter was the first pope. Their tradition says a pope can't marry. So they let their tradition trump what the Bible says. You see, the Bible's not hard to understand on this. It's easy to see that Peter had a wife. Matthew 8, 14, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. Talking about Peter. That's easy. It's not hard to interpret. Not hard to understand. That's not why we have different interpretations. It's because, as for example, people let their tradition trump the Scripture. The Bible's easy to understand, but they don't take what the Bible says. Instead, they let what they already believe, the tradition of their church, take priority over what the Bible says. Now, the lines are wide open. If you have a Bible question or comment, Give us a call at 877-655-6755. If you have a Bible question or comment, call us at 877-655-6755. So it's not true that the reason there are so many different interpretations of the Bible out there is because the Bible's hard to understand. We have all these other reasons. It's not because the Bible's hard to understand. People many times have ulterior motives. I can show you that from the scriptures. John 12, 42 and 43 is a good case of that. Here's how that text reads. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed on him. Talking about believing on Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Was it hard to understand that Jesus was the Son of God? No, these chief rulers believed on him. They actually believed on him. They knew it, but they weren't willing to follow through on their belief because they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God, so they didn't want to leave their position in the synagogue, to lose their position. They believed on Jesus. They weren't willing to confess him. They weren't willing to follow through on that belief because they didn't want to leave their position in their church. It wasn't because the Bible was hard to understand. It wasn't because it was hard to figure out whether or not Jesus was the Son of God or not. That wasn't the problem. They had ulterior motives. 
They loved the praise of God more than the praise of men, and they didn't want to lose their position in their church, their synagogue. Could be a lot of people in the same way today. They can understand the truth. They can understand what we present on this program. Clearly showing Bible verses that prove our position. They can understand it, but they don't want to leave the church they're in. It's more important to them to keep their position in the church they're in than to accept the truth of what the Bible says. Let me ask you if this text is hard to understand. And this is on homosexuality. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. Admittedly, an Old Testament passage. It says, If a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. Is that hard to understand? Is that verse hard to understand that in the Old Testament times, it was a sin to be a homosexual? We can read many passages that prove the same thing in the New Testament. It's not because the Bible is hard to understand. That's, that's not why we have church, whole churches out here that accept gays. It's not because these verses like Leviticus 20.13 and Romans 1.26 and 27 are hard to understand. That's not why. They have ulterior motives. I've seen a lot of testimonies of people in the gay church. And without fail, almost every one of them say they were in a church that was opposed to homosexuality, but they were gay, so they always felt guilty about this, about their lifestyle, because the church they were a member of preached against it. They felt guilty about it. Probably they hid it. Suddenly they found the gay church, and all of a sudden they found the truth. They figured out that the Bible never condemned homosexuality all along. No. The Bible's not hard to understand on that. They have an ulterior motive. They wanted to practice this sin, and so they searched and searched and searched till they found a church that would say it's okay. <laughs> the Bible's not hard to understand. That's not why there's so many interpretations. People have ulterior motives. Sometimes it just interferes with the way they want to live. Let me give you this quote from Sir Julian Huxley, one of the world's leading evolutionists. Here's what he said, and I quote, I suppose the reason we leaped at the origin of species was because the idea of God interfered with our sexual mores or practices. In short, he wouldn't accept the Bible because he knew it would restrict his sexual freedom. Not because the Bible was hard to understand. It wasn't because... The, the evidence for evolution was so much better. The scientific, scientific evidence was so much better than the evidence for creation. What he's saying is we accepted evolution because if we accept creation, that means we're responsible to the creator and that would interfere with our sexual practices. You see, accepting the truth would interfere with how he wanted to live so he didn't accept the truth. Not because... It was hard to understand the truth, or not because the proof couldn't the truth couldn't be proved, but because if he accepted the truth, if he accepted God as being the creator, it would interfere with his sexual freedom. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. You know a lot of people to do that today on divorce and remarriage. We've had a number of programs where people called in and asked about divorce and remarriage. And every time they call, we read this passage. Now, and I'm talking about Matthew 19.9. Now, maybe, based upon the situation some people get themselves into, maybe this passage is easier said than done. 
but it's not really that hard to understand. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 9. Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. Is that hard to understand? Every time this comes up in one of my home Bible studies, you know, I offer a free one-hour phone Bible study if you're interested. I'll give you the number to call or text later if you're interested in that. Free, one-hour phone Bible study. Whenever somebody asks about this or this comes up in one of my studies, I read this verse and just ask them what they think it means. And without fail, every one of them can understand it. They say, basically, that if a man were to put away his wife for any reason other than fornication and remarry, he's committing adultery. Now, if he if his wife cheated on him, then he's allowed by God to divorce her for that one and only reason and remarry. But for any other reason, if he divorces, he remarries, he commits adultery, the second marriage is an adulteress. Follow-up question. If he wants to repent of that adultery, what's he going to have to do? Well, he'd have to terminate the marriage. Just like if two men were married in a gay marriage, what do they have to do if they want to repent? To terminate the marriage. They can't just say, I'm sorry, and keep on sleeping with that other man. Likewise, in this marriage this second marriage, adulterous marriage, because it violates Matthew 19.9, they can't just say, I'm sorry, and keep on committing adultery, sleeping with that woman. They're going to have to terminate that marriage and seek reconciliation with their original spouse. That's what repentance would demand. We all know that. That's not that hard to understand. Why is it that there's so many people that are divorced and remarried in many of our churches across the land, in the United States and Canada? Why is that? Stats say that about 20 to 30% of people in most churches are in a second or third marriage that violates Matthew 19.9. Why is that? It's not because the Bible's hard to understand. Matthew 19.9 is not hard to understand. It's because accepting what Matthew 19.9 clearly says will interfere with how people want to live. They Maybe they love that second wife. Maybe she's real pretty. They want to stay with that second wife. So they reject the plain meaning of Matthew 19.9 because if they accepted it, they know they'd have to get out of that marriage. And they don't want to do that. The Bible's not hard to understand. Sometimes the Bible interferes with how we want to live, so we don't accept what the Bible clearly says. Jerry from Ohio, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Oh, good evening. Um, I've always read in the end of book, well, the book of Acts where Paul went to prison and... Uh, remained there until his death. And it says that he stayed in his own rented house and preached the gospel unhindered. Yep, that's the and, last two verses in Acts, as a matter of fact. Yeah, 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 I believe that. But I read in, and I can't tell you which one of the other uh, New Testament books the other night when I was reading, and NIV has a, cop, a, a thing on the top of it that kind of gives an overview and they make a remark about where Paul had been released from prison. I've read this before other places, mm -hmm. where he was released in pr from prison and then put back in prison after that. Now, it seems to me the two are at odds, and I'm not sure which way it is. I've always thought Paul went to prison, and it was in, it says that he, has, he makes remarks a few times about his chains. I assume they're around his wrists when he's writing the gospel, the, uh, the uh, epistles. I'm just kind of crowded on that. Okay, Jerry. Unless I'm mistaken, when we look at Paul in prison in Acts 28, it does not say he stayed there till he died. Okay? Okay. I think I think what 
possibly is going on here is tradition says this, tradition says that. We've been talking about tradition in this in this uh, uh, in this lesson. We've been talking about. The, I've the, been listening. The, yes. So secular history may say that Paul was released from prison and then later put to death for his faith. We, I don't think that the Bible actually says either way. It just end, The book of Acts ends with him in prison, but it doesn't right. say he stayed there till he died. So any speculation about whether he was released or not, that would have to come from secular history, which is not going to be as reliable, especially since it was 2,000 years ago. And, well, I should say especially because it's not God's Word. It's not going to be as reliable right. as the Bible. So we don't really know what happened to Paul after this in Acts 20. Verse 30 and 31. You know, we can read things in in uh, the book of Timothy about how he was ready to be offered and things like that. Are you familiar right. with those passages? Absolutely, yeah. Pour out but his it drink doesn't, offering. doesn't really tell how, uh, how he died or if he died in prison or he's released. I'm looking at First Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 6. It says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. So he's realizing that he's his death is probably coming soon. I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all so unto all them that love his appearing. So I think we really don't know, Jerry, unless somebody, maybe you or another caller, can show me a verse that I'm overlooking that tells more definitively about what happened to Paul after he got into prison here in Acts 28. I don't know of one that tells, though, Jerry. I don't either. And I read this the other night. I'm a truck driver, and I was reading my Bible the other night, and I got to looking at that, and I thought, well, that doesn't make sense. And so I haven't had a chance to ask my preacher about it. And uh, I'm just curious. And you heard you talking tonight. I'm in the truck now. And I thought, I'll just call you and see what your take is on it. Jerry, I appreciate your call, okay? And you're a good Church of Christ guy, too, and I am as well. You drive safe. Drive safe, I'll okay? Try. That's no okay. fun. Okay. You know, this, this illustrates something that's very important about Bible study. We shouldn't preach things that we don't know. Preach with all your might about what you can find in the Bible. But things that don't aren't told, aren't, aren't told us in the Bible, then it's really just speculation. We should just leave those things alone. Say we don't know because the Bible doesn't say. Now, sometimes we might say we don't know because the Bible doesn't say, and we're wrong. The Bible does say, and that's the case may be true tonight. Maybe you know a verse that does t- give us more information that I'm not remembering right now, and that's fine. Whatever the Bible says happened to Paul, we're going to accept it if it's in God's Word. But, you know, just somebody, tradition or secular history, that's not necessarily going to tell us an accurate answer. Probably people disagree on some of those things. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. You know, the Bible's really not hard that hard to understand. That's not why there's so many different interpretations of the Bible. A lot of times, the Bible's easy to understand, but it contradicts what we wish the truth would be. Many times, I think this is what's happening with this idea of once saved, always saved. So many people claiming to be believers in Christ believe once saved, always saved. There's no justification for that in the Bible. I'm convinced it's just wishful thinking. They want it to be true that once saved, always saved, so that they can live any old way they want to after they become a Christian and still be saved. 
It's wishful thinking. The Bible's clear in practically every page of the Bible has at least one verse on it that proves conclusively that once saved, always saved is a false doctrine. For example, Galatians chapter 5 verse 4 reads about people who are trying to bind the Old Testament law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Now, you can't fall from a tree unless you're in a tree, right? You can't fall from grace unless you're in grace. So these people, because they were trying to bind parts of the Old Testament law, like circumcision, the Seventh-day Adventists would be in the same boat. They're trying to bind the Sabbath today, part of the Old Testament law. It says they had at once been in grace, say, now they're fallen from grace. They're not in grace anymore. They lost their salvation. Clear. We could show it at least a couple of dozen more passages that are just as clear as that one. Once saved, always saved is not true. The Bible's not hard to understand on that issue. The Bible's very clear that once saved, always saved is a false doctrine. Leads many people not to be as careful as they ought to in living the Christian life because they've been told they can live any old way they want to and still be saved. Well, what are they going to do? Live any old way they want to. The Bible's clear that's a false teaching. But people want it to be true. They wish it to be true. So they ignore the Bible's clear teaching on it and believe what they want to believe. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. Lines are wide open. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call. A lot of times, people just don't take into consideration all the passages involved. They come to a wrong conclusion about a subject, not because the Bible's hard to understand, but they just don't take everything the Bible says under consideration. Let me give you an example. I had a debate one time with a Catholic apologist on transubstantiation. The Catholic Church believes that when the priest offers thanks for the bread and the fruit of the vine, then the bread and the fruit of the vine literally change to the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. And I could see how they might get the impression, might get that idea from Matthew 26, verse 27 and 28. It reads, And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for, the, uh, shed for many for the remission of sins. So he's talking about the cup, what's in the cup, the fruit of the vine. He says, This is my blood. Now, if that's the only verse we had, you might think, Well, it changed over literally to blood. But if they just look at the very next verse, they'd say that's not the right conclusion. The very next verse, verse 29 says, Jesus still speaking. He says, But I say unto you that I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So after he calls it blood, he calls it fruit of the vine. So either it changed to blood momentarily, literally, and then changed back to fruit of the vine, or it stayed fruit of the vine the whole time and Jesus has just used a metaphor. Like John 10, verse 9, Jesus said, I am the door. Well, did he mean that he was like a wooden piece of wood with hinges on it? Literally? No, he's using a metaphor. If you want to come to God, you have to come through me. I am the door. So we have to take everything that God says on a subject to know the answer. And if we don't, we may come to the wrong conclusion. Not because the Bible's hard to understand. It's simply because we don't take everything the Bible has to say on a particular subject. April from North Carolina. Go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hi there. Thank you for thank taking you for my your, call. Thank you for, well, thank you for calling. Yes. So I have a question just because I'm a little bit confused um, about the uh, false doctrine, as you say, of once saved, always saved. So 
I guess the thing that confuses me is if Christ was a perfect, sinless Lamb of God, he's perfect, he's sinless, he came to die for all of us. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that his blood would be strong enough to when if he shed his blood for us that it should be permanent. Well, it's not like it was a bullock. It's not like it was a turtle dove. It's not like it was a goat. Mm-hmm. That, that's it was what you're doing is April. You're trying to use human reasoning to try to figure out the truth, and we should never do that. Let me ask you something. Didn't Jesus die okay. for everybody? Yes. Even even people are atheists. He died for them, right? Yes. Even Hitler. So, yes. Okay. So shouldn't his blood be strong enough so that even atheists can yes. be saved? Well, but are but are atheists going to be saved? No, because they have to accept the gift. Right. It's, it's the same gift, way. But if you don't, and it's the, if you don't accept it. it that's right. So that, so your human reasoning, I love you, but your human reasoning was incorrect. You have to accept the gift. Now, let me read you a passage yes, here. You, Hebrews, you have to accept Christ. You do. That's mm-hmm. right. But what, what if you accept Christ and then later you reject him? Let me show you that's possible. Hebrews 3.12, take heed, brethren. He's talking to Christians here. Verse 1 says he's talking right. to holy right. brethren partakers of the heavenly calling. So he's talking to Christians. He says, Take heed lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So here you have a person that became a Christian. He was a believer. And then later he changed to unbelief and departed from the living God. So he no longer accepts Christ anymore, April. He accepted Christ at one time. He no no longer accepts Christ. Well, and let me say this, because... In my opinion, and obviously this is my opinion, there are lots of people out there that think they are saved. They think they have accepted Christ because they have bought into the lie that, hey, if I'm a good person, and hey, if I walk this aisle and I go to this altar, that means that I'm saved. Well, it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, you and I agree to, with that. You have to, yeah, you have to meet the man named Jesus. And I agree with that, April, but... I I agree with that, April, but... But Hebrews 3.12 is not talking about that. It's talking about people who have become Christians, but then they change to unbelief and depart from the living God. Now, what does 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 2 say about such people? At the end of that verse, it says, If you forsake me, I will forsake you. That's what God said. I didn't write that. 2 Chronicles chapter 15 verse 2. If you forsake me, I will forsake you. Hebrews 3.12 shows that it's possible for a Christian, a true Christian, not a pretender, to change and forsake God. 2 Chronicles 15.2 says God will forsake him. So we see that once saved, always saved is not true. Now people may believe that because of wishful thinking, but it's not true to the Bible. And people may believe different things because they don't take everything the Bible says under consideration. Like they believed salvation is by faith only, based upon John 3.16. Now, if all we had was John 3.16, maybe the Bible would teach salvation by faith only. But we need to take everything the Bible says under consideration. And James 2.24 says, Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. 
So John 3.16 doesn't teach salvation by faith only because you take all of what the Bible says and you find out that it's not by faith only. Mark, Jesus said in Mark 16.16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. We appreciate you listening. We uh, encourage you to listen next week at the same time. I mentioned about the free one-hour phone Bible study. I'd be glad to have a phone Bible study with you. One hour, free of charge, just whenever it's convenient for you. If you're interested in that, give me a call or text me at 256-682-9753. Again, the number to call or text if you want the free one-hour phone Bible study is 256-682-9753. See, the Bible's not that hard to understand. Most of the time, it's very easy to understand. People have other reasons for not believing what the Bible clearly says. All I do is ask you to accept what the Bible says. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is true. Accept what God's word says.